You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. For the next hour, you're listening to the Classic Auto Mall podcast and show, broadcast from the Classic Auto Mall studio in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Classic Auto Mall is a world-class facility conveniently located just an hour west of Philadelphia and houses 600 classic cars for sale and over 400 barn finds on display. Check out more at ClassicAutomall.com. Now on to the show with our host, the president of Classic Auto Mall, Stuart Howden. And good morning. Morning, Steve. Good morning, Ethan. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody's well. <laughs> We're working through our technical difficulties that uh, keep rearing their ugly head. Audacity had the audacity <laughs> to not work. That's why they call morning. it audacity. Exactly. Now I'm figuring that out. Anyway, good morning. Thanks for listening to the Classic Automall Podcast here from... Overcast Morgantown, Pennsylvania today. Just a little bit of weather we're having. I just got back from uh, Buffalo, New York. Uh, my friend lives up on Lake Erie up there, and it's the most beautiful place you've ever seen. Is it? That's just unbelievable. I've never been up there. Yeah. And he has a big car show once a year to support uh, some local charities in Buffalo. And the level of cars that come out to this car show at his house are just unbelievable. Ferrari Romas and Aston Martin Vantages and oh, really? Just everything you can imagine. Just Ferrari after Ferrari after Ferrari. And are there classic auto mall type places in uh, New York? I'd, state New York? Not that I'm aware of. There's some classic car dealers up in that mm-hmm. part of the world, but uh, I don't know of any that are, are do the same thing we do, a consignment based classic car business. So maybe we need to look into that. We, yeah. Maybe we do. I have a friend who went to Finger Lakes and there yeah. was a car show there and yeah. apparently amazing cars. Plus yeah. it's close to Connecticut, which yeah. is uh, yeah. gold. That, that's Yeah, that's uh, an area that's huge into the car world. And that's mostly, or not mostly, I say, that's an incorrect term, but there's a lot of oh, late model Ferraris and Porsches, and then, of course, British or European sports cars is a big, big item uh, up in Connecticut area. And um, and we get a few cars down this way from there, mm-hmm. but uh, we're actually going to do a uh, Concorde d'Elegance. Uh, at the Audrain up in Newport, Rhode Island coming up. Wow. So, oh, fancy schmancy is that. That's, that's really yeah. <laughs> reaching out. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and our, uh, listen, we, we want to spread the word of Classic Auto Mall. I think a lot of people know of us from within the area that we're in, uh, southeast Pennsylvania. But uh, beyond that, you know, people have a short distance or window of, of area that they pay attention to things. You know, I get a cruise news magazine from Connecticut, and there's stuff I've never heard of hmm. that's four hours from us. You know? Really? So it's not, you know, it's not that unreasonable to expect that people would go, you know, classic auto mall. First of all, it's kind of, I mean, in in essence, it's, it's somewhat of a generic name, classic auto mall, all right. three very generic yeah. type names. It's not like... Uh, the reason toter uh, uh, region of our Porsche club, <laughs> right. or something unusual, or something that's you know easy to remember, or maybe not, not easy to remember, but something that's that's different or unique. And classic and auto and mall are used in a lot of different things, mm-hmm. so maybe that's part of it. So we'll analyze that. I think the Poughkeepsie area would be ideal. I love New Paltz <laughs> and out manage a facility up there. And what about we looked at Newburgh? Uh, oh which yeah, is an that, area, that's a good area. To, uh, about three and a half hours. Hudson from Valley. So yeah, mm-hmm. the Hudson Valley, and there's like the world's largest outlet mall up there. Oh, so okay. Then we could have that because we used to have an outlet mall here. Right, right. We don't we'll, we'll take over that one. We could take over that one. <laughs> but uh, there's actually a casino going in up there oh, okay. in, in a regular mall uh, that is now defunct, mm-hmm. which happens a lot with these malls. Um, and, you know, the problem is, is that, that 
these are old, old buildings, a lot of these mm-hmm. things. And, and especially if they're now out of business, the maintenance has probably been a little less than, than what it would have been in its heyday when it was full and had, you know, all full paying tenants that mm-hmm. were doing their thing. So, uh, you know, they always require a lot of work on these old malls. And, uh, but knock on wood. Yep. I don't know if our desk is even wood. <laughs> oh, it's press board, but that, can, that counts. Well, there's my sawzall work right there. You can see where we were trying yep. to cut out some microphone stand holders. But anyway, I digress. Uh, some great inventory in this week. One that we'd gotten in the week before um, that I had failed to mention last time when we were on the air, mm-hmm. which is the 1917 Mets. All right. A Model 25 Touring, which are very, very unusual, and you don't see a lot of them. doesn't make them real desirable, but... Uh, but there's certainly uh, there's a there's a, a clientele for these kind of pre pre war cars yeah. that uh, you know 1917 brass era cars are getting close to the brass era cars and uh, and we've been selling some brass era cars Is that right the Model T that we got in with all the beautiful brass on it the black one mm-hmm. the black Model T that's like that's a little bit redundant <laughs> and, um, uh, but uh, oh the black one yeah oh yeah, I, yeah the black <laughs> one I saw it um, all Model Ts were black right? right I guess not all of them but most of them were uh, but anyway this one was beautiful and we've been selling a lot of some pre war nineteen Late teens, early to mid twenties cars that, uh, for a while there were kind of in a, in a, in the doldrums. Mm-hmm. And now they're, uh, seem to be picking up a little bit. So, uh, this 1917 Mets is, it's really, I mean, it's a museum quality restoration on this car and it's rare and it's beautiful and it's, I think they only made about 4,300 of them. So you can imagine from 1917 till today, you know the attrition rate mm-hmm. of a car that wasn't a Duesenberg or a, you know a V V sixteen Cadillac or something of that ilk. Uh, this was just a you know transportation. It was probably most people wouldn't know it from a Model T or a Model A uh, or a Model T of the era, excuse me. And uh, and so mm-hmm. you know out of forty three hundred of them built, I gotta imagine there can't be that many left, right? You know because right. how many Model Tees did they build? You know, it gets me thinking about. We had Kendra on the show mm-hmm. from the uh, historic uh, the Boyertown Boyertown mm-hmm. Museum of Historic Vehicles, right? And it seems like a good fit if they had a if they had a bank for it. I would think so. Yeah. So, Kendra, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> we're taking offers. Um, it's got a friction disc disc transmission, but mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I, I don't either. I mean, I know it means there's a disc in there that somehow probably rotates and mm-hmm. friction either. Makes it do something. So if anybody knows, podcast at Classic Automall, <laughs> let us know. Yeah. Uh, it's got wood spoke wheels and it's an L head four cylinder. So if you get a chance, check it out. We also got in a 48 Crosley station wagon. Yeah. Have you seen that thing? That thing is cool. <laughs> and now you have it parked next to one of the biggest Broncos I've ever seen. So it looks even smaller than it is, but yeah, it's a cool it looks, vehicle. It looks like it would fit in the back of the Bronco. Exactly. It looks like you could just pick it up and slide it in like yeah. a go kart, you know, and it's red over black and it's got the, the wood grain is painted. So it's yeah. not actual – like what car ever had actual I don't think Crosley's ever did, but – I don't yeah, – Or did they? they I don't know. Some of them had wood bodies, actually. Yeah. But. And, uh, of course, you know, the Chrysler Town and Countries from the, you know, 40s uh, all yeah. had actual wood on them. And some of the Jeeps had actual wood on them. But I can't any, uh, imagine – I mean, Kathy wants the new – my wife wants the new Grand Wagoneer. If they put uh-huh. real wood on it, she would have bought it. Oh, no. They are putting wood on it, but not real yeah. wood, obviously. Yeah. yeah. And, and aftermarket. It's yeah. Not, Right, right. Plus, it's too big to fit in our Well, if you want to, if you want to see smiles at a car show, this Crosley would be the, the, the car Absolutely. to have. This thing is, a, would be the star of a show. And it's got a 44 cubic inch four cylinder, so <laughs> it is really powerful. <laughs> Back roads. 
It's very clean undercarriage. It drives great. Um, it's, you know, I mean, uh, the Crosley was, you know, make a simple, small car that was cost-effective to own, even though gas prices back in 1948 were probably 40 cents a gallon or mm-hmm. something. But it's all relative. You know, when you, we talk about cars and why didn't you get the option that was $200 more? Well, $200 was, you know, four house payments. Right. So $200 was not nothing. It sounds like nothing today, but uh, it isn't. It shouldn't right. sound like nothing. It's all relative. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, if you get a chance, check out the uh, Crosley uh, wagon that we have here. Also got a 81 Pontiac Trans Am Bandit Edition. Okay. Eastbound and down. No, no, I promise I won't. Starlight Black over Black. Uh, one of 932 Bandit Editions okay. built. It's got the ultra-large, high-perform... No. It's got the 305 cubic inch V8, but it does have the T10 four-speed. Okay. Which is really kind of... Is that desirable? Well, especially during that era. How many cars mm. in the you know 80s were getting away from a manual transmission? Automatic transmission was right, kind of right. the way to go. So it's got all its original paperwork. A 10-bolt posi rear end. Uh, it's fully restored. Uh, it's got the screaming chicken or whatever you yep. like to call it. Yep. There's a lot of different... Screaming chicken. Screaming chicken. And, and, and the eagle. It's, it's actually a eagle, Screaming eagle. Yeah. And it's... At, well, I guess from around here, the... The Eagles football fans yeah. wanted to adopt it as their own. So uh, it, it's a beauty, that's yeah. for sure. It's really, really, really beautiful, and uh, it's one of those ones that uh, probably in ten years from now we'll all say, "Man, I wish we'd have bought that and put it away and yep. saved it for a rainy day, so mm-hmm. we could uh, uh, make a lot of money on these cars." Because that never happens for me. <laughs> <laughs> there are guys that do that, but it's just not me. Uh, we also got in a '94 Viper uh, RT10 Viper Red over gravy. That thing that paint is stunning it is beautiful car. i i'd almost be afraid to drive this yeah. one is so so good viper red is really is uh, is a prettiest red you could probably get it really it's, it's not bright burgundy it's not orange it's just red mm-hmm. it's just red the way it's supposed to be and of course you know nothing better than the <laughs> eight liter 400 horsepower v10 <laughs> viper power how many quarts of oil do those things take <laughs> I don't know. a don't, lot don't ask me technical questions oh. this is awfully early for that tremec t5 t56 manual and it, as my uh, esteemed writer says, it goes like hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, you know, and and what's funny about the Viper is is that when they were designing it and building it, uh, they took uh, you know Lee Iacocca, uh, Bob Lutz or Lutz took Lee Iacocca out in it and gave him a ride, and he basically greenlighted it right mm-hmm. there and said, "Go for it." Mm-hmm. You know, this thing is is a win win, and it's so encouraging to see manufacturers do things like the Viper and the Ford GT that Ford has done, and you know we're we're just about away from automobiles. I mean, mm-hmm. Ford has what in automobiles? Yeah, like right. Anything. I don't can't even. And the Viper sort of predated all this Hellcat demon stuff. Yeah. So this was like their, their big move. And uh, th- now they didn't come with tops in 94, right? So this yeah. one has a really rare piece. Yeah. So it's got the top. And, and you know, it's um, they're just interesting cars. And I got to meet uh, Roy Schoberg uh, oh. a couple of three weeks right, ago right. at the uh, Simeon uh, Philadelphia Concord mm-hmm. at the Simeon Museum. And uh, really interesting to, to get to talk to the guy. He's called Father Viper. He wasn't the father of the Viper. But uh-huh. he was, he was kind of like Father Viper. It was kind of just, a, I guess, a name that stuck with him that uh, they liked, uh, you know, how he developed the program and, and engineered the program and all those good things. So uh, it was interesting to meet him and some of the other guys from yep. from that program. And then also a uh, 61 Impala Sport Coupe we got in this week. Roman red over red and white, 348 tri-power. 
Hmm. And that, you know, it's only two more barrels than a four barrel, but it really just something about <laughs> makes romantic difference. about that six barrels. Uh, you know, of course you get dual quads too, which is, would be eight barrels. Right. Um, see, I'm good at that math. There you go. See, so you're technical. <laughs> Very Not technical. too early. Um, well executed restoration on this uh, Impala and uh, garage cap. And it's, uh, what, it, like, it's a sport coupe, but it's referred to as a bubble top. Mm-hmm. That's what people call them. It's, um, it's just kind of rounded in shape the way it is in the rear window. And, uh, a lot of, a lot of the, uh, early 60s cars had bubble top versions in Pala. There was a Pontiac. There was, uh, the Oldsmobile. Um, Buick, I guess, had one. I guess any, all of the General Motors, except maybe Cadillac didn't have that I'm aware of. Uh, but anyway, it's really a beautiful, beautiful car. And, you know, garage kept, you know, that sounds funny when you say that, but be surprised how many cars don't have indoor garage space. <laughs> I mean, a lot of cars it's end true. up here yeah. because the guy says, look, I, I don't want it to go down in value anymore. I've, I've had this thing outside, and, and mm-hmm. I know that if I keep it out any longer, then it's going to start deteriorating, and I've, my wife won't give up the garage. So <laughs> poor guy. So build another garage. Right. And, and then um, uh, we've got a 1973 Westfalia camper Volkswagen. It's signal orange over white and mm-hmm. tan. And it's basically an open checkbook restoration. The guy just whatever it took to do, do it and do it right. We're we're gonna film it today, and oh, it's, cool. It's, cool, it's it's awesome. Yeah, and it's a uh, you know a little four cylinder engine. They're not uh, extremely powerful, right. um, but uh, but they're just neat vehicles, and they have such a cult following. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny that there's certain cars that have that cult following like that, um, like the uh, you know some of the Volvo station wagons have a cult following. Mm-hmm. The Mercedes diesel. Turbo diesel station wagons are really don't last long at all. So, uh, you know, really a neat one. If you get a chance, go to our website, classicautomodel.com. You can check out all the, our inventory. And, uh, we'll, well, you don't, you don't buy this one to race. No, no. This, this is, <laughs> yeah. this is pure show. Really. Yeah, this is pure show or poor. Uh, pure utilization. Yeah, Take you, it out and camp in. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, this, why not? That's what it's designed to do. Mm-hmm. You'd be the coolest at the at the campground, <laughs> that's uh, for sure. Especially with uh, and 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 alongside some of the uh, campers that you see out there, the uh, stainless steel ones, the mm-hmm. Airstream. Right, right. I saw a brand new small Airstream the other day going down the road. It was really cool looking. I love them. Uh, yeah, they really are the uh, cult following and not cheap either. No. They're 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 pricey. So when we return, we have a special guest today on the telephone with us uh, from uh, not far from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, uh, and a, a world-famous drag racer and all-around great guy, Bruce Larson. So when we return uh, with the Classic Auto Mall podcast, we'll have Bruce on the phone with us, and we'll talk about some drag racing hist- history and cars in general and uh, what's going on in the market and what he's up to these days. We'll be back in just a minute. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars, antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information, or to receive a quote, contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE, or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com awr. That's 888-268-4783. Or visit jctaylor.com awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. 
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back with the Classic Auto Mall podcast live from the Classic Auto Mall studio. Man, it's uh, it's a little overcast today, but uh, the crowds are here. We're busy, as usual. It's Saturdays that become the day. Yeah. And uh, we have gotten... Oh, I'd say we get some business from the casino. I think that's that helped us quite a bit. I think that we're getting a lot of walk-in traffic that people have driven past here and said, one of these days we're going to stop here, and the day finally becomes, hey, why don't we go to the casino, and then we'll go over to the auto mall as well. And hopefully they'll come with winnings. Right. So I, I think, you know, the next move is a tram yeah. that goes <laughs> yes. back and forth. Or, uh, what, you know, those things they have at the bank that uh, you put your money in <laughs> okay. and it goes through the, the chute. Can yeah, we yeah. just send people? People that way? Yeah. yeah. A tunnel? Or, yeah, a, or tunnel. A, tr- a tram over you know, the turnpike. In cool. Vegas, there's a there's that tunnel that they run Teslas through. Yeah, they're, right. They're, right. It's like a tram, but yet their vehicles running through yeah. there. So anyway, I digress. Anyway, this morning we have a very special guest on the podcast. Uh, 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 newfound, I say newfound. We we met about three or four years ago. A friend of mine, Bruce Larson, uh, the founding father of the funny car class. He may tell me different, but uh, that's that's what we've heard anyway. Good morning, Bruce. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. I hope you are, too. We're doing fantastic. Is it cloudy down in your part of the world? It's cloudy, but no rain, so it's okay. It's okay. We can live with that, right? Uh, we uh, we met Bruce here because he's like a typical car guy. He can't stay away from Classic Automobile and has to show up every <laughs> once in a while. And we appreciate that because uh, we just like to keep spreading the gospel to everybody about what we're doing. And you have a little museum down in your part of the world, don't you? That's what they call it. I've got all my memorabilia and cars in a barn in Dauphin, Pennsylvania. And do you do an open house or something every year, or a, a little? Uh, is it a is it a invitation only thing, or do you do you just open it up to anybody? It's open house to everybody. We've been doing it for twenty three years now. Uh, always the second Saturday of November. This year it'll be November twelfth, uh, I believe. Oh, fantastic! Well, maybe I'll have to. Is is the uh, price of admission? You have to drive up in a cool car. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, drive drive up in a cool car, and uh, we do we do have a price of admission of ten dollars. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, that's fantastic. So, Bruce, you got your start in in Pennsylvania. You're from originally from Pennsylvania and grew up here and uh, started racing at uh, the tender age of what sixteen? Did I read? Yeah, uh, maybe a little bit before that. Uh, used to race on the streets around uh, Mechanicsburg and Camp Hill, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And uh, then finally in uh, 1954, NHRA uh, brought their crew in and sanctioned uh, the first NHRA drag race in the East. So I was there. Wow, how exciting times that must have been. I mean, you know, after street racing, you just wonder, you know, would there ever be something that we could do that would be, you know, more uh, sanctioned, I guess, and probably, I guess, safer uh, <laughs> than racing on the street. But, hey, we all did it back in the day, right? Yeah, I'm afraid so. But, uh, you know, we, we ran the problem of crashing into a guardrail or having the police chase us, and it was – really a welcome thing when nhra came in with organized drag racing absolutely and were the tracks uh an eighth mile or a quarter mile back then uh the first track that they came in for was in linden new jersey at the airport and it was a quarter mile most of the races uh from then on were quarter mile up until recently when the pros went to thousand feet because of safety yeah is that uh, something you agreed with thought it was a right thing to do 
Uh, I, I didn't like it, but it, they had to do it, really, because uh, some of the tracks just weren't long enough to get a car stopped if there was a problem with maybe either the brakes or the parachute. I mean, if everything works for perfect, uh, you get stopped, but uh, things don't always work perfect. <laughs> well, yes, we, we've all found out that the hard way. Um, did they? I think at one time I read that they had talked about they had, or they had mentioned that when they changed it to a thousand feet, that at some point in time they might go back to thirteen hundred and twenty feet. I I have no idea, but I sort of doubt it. Yeah. Well, I think now when you see how fast they're going <laughs> in in the uh, thousand, I'll never forget when I went when I moved uh, to this area in um, Morgantown. I went to Maple Grove the first year I was here, and I I sidled up to some guy who was watching and said, uh, "So how fast are these things going in the quarter these days?" He goes, "They don't do the quarter anymore." <laughs> I felt really stupid, but uh, yeah, they go a thousand feet, and now they're going three hundred and what three hundred sixty miles an hour. Well, now they're going faster than they went in the quarter mile, and wow. people have tried to figure that out, but their crew chiefs figured it out pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, when they were running a quarter mile, they tuned the engine so it would just barely make it a quarter mile, and then it had to be serviced. Right. Now they found out if they don't need to run it as far, they can run it harder. Wow. So uh, they go faster. Sure. Well, I mean, it sounds logical, but it can't be just as simple as that, right? I mean, it's there's a lot of high-tech uh, mathematical equations and things that go on with this, right? Everything is really pretty sophisticated now. It's getting over my head. <laughs> well, that's a lot of things for me because I think all of us probably have the same conversation about we were probably born 20 years too late or something along those lines. So, but your first drag car was, was a, uh, was a 32 Ford, right? That's right. I bought it when I was 14 from a farmer and, uh, it had a flathead V8 in it and, uh, I kind of learned how to do Joey Chitwood tricks in it and so on before I uh, took it off the the street. And, uh, well, I, I, it wasn't on the street legally right. at 14 years old. But uh, I took it apart and chopped the top three inches and uh, had a great paint job put on it. And uh, at this point, I, I had sold the car, but at this point, I bought it back and it's restored and... Uh, so I drive it quite often. Oh, you still have that car. Wow. That's fantastic. Yes. You've got quite a bit of your original cars that we'll talk about. Uh, uh, and that's interesting. You know, it's nice to be able to keep some of that stuff. It wasn't always easy for everybody because maybe financial times or life situations change. And, and it's always cool when I see people that are able to have held on to their, uh, the historical side of what they did and their life and all of that. And of course, you know, a 32 Ford five window was probably as prevalent of a car as you could find back. Back in the day, right? I mean, there was you probably bought it for fifty bucks, right? Uh, I paid a whopping seventy five dollars. Oh, <laughs> big spender, <laughs> you know. But it, if, how many stories do we hear that we have guests on, and their first car they bought, it's always fifty bucks, you know, that they paid for it, or somewhere in that neighborhood. That, uh, uh, but you know, you graduated pretty quickly and, and realized that uh, I guess you were good at it. And um, is it fair to call you the founding father of the funny car class? Oh, uh, that might be a little bit of overkill. I, I think <laughs> I, pioneered, I think I pioneered some of the things that uh, went into the funny cars. And I did have the first all-fiberglass funny car in the country, uh, a 66 Chevelle. Uh, that's when we started to use the name USA1 on all my cars. That was really popular of a choice to use that USA one one, and that was a uh, that really worked out well for you. Very identifiable. 
Yeah, that car is restored now, and it's in Don Garlich Museum in Florida. Oh, fantastic. I've been there before. I actually was there, and and I went into the museum, and there was a lady behind the counter, and I just randomly asked, is Mr. Garlitz here? And she said, oh, he's around back working on a car. So I wandered back over there, and all of a sudden, a guy comes out from behind a door and right in my face, and it was him. <laughs> and he what are you doing here? And I said, I just came to meet you. And he goes, all right, okay. You know, he, he became really nice really quick. So uh, what a neat place he's got down there uh, yeah. in Ocala. Yeah. He's 90 years old now, and he's still doing organized tours through the museum by appointment. So, and, and that's a, a very worthwhile thing to do. It's amazing what the stories he tells during those tours. I can only imagine. I mean, you know, he's like the West Coast guy, like Gene Winfield, the hot rod builder out in California is 94, 95, and he's still bending metal and doing all that. So it gives all of us uh, young pups a, a hope that uh, <laughs> we're not going to be in a nursing home at 70. <laughs> yeah, we should live that long. Yeah, well, that's true, too. So um, what the, the class that that became Funny Car, wasn't that originally the, the, the factory experimental class? That's right. And uh, the fans started to call those cars Funny Cars uh, for the reason that we had moved the front wheels forward and we moved the rear wheels forward and trying to get a, a big gain on weight distribution, and it made the cars look funny. Right. So fans called them funny cars, and NHRA didn't really want to change the name of the class to funny cars, and they fought it for a year or more and finally relented. And now the cars are so professional, and even, you know, even up 20 years ago, we were trying to shake off the name funny car, but the fans wouldn't let us shake it off. So uh, look how sophisticated the cars are now and right. still cool funny cars. But they are. They're, they're funny looking because they look like an exaggerated a, a, of a regular car. So it's a it's a Camaro that looks like it's way longer than it should be, and it's got different proportions. But you can still so, sort of tell it's a, a Camaro, although the headlights are like the NASCAR cars. I guess they're painted on, right? So, it, but it, yeah. it still looks like it. So, uh, but they are, you know, it's so popular. It's funny when you go up here to Maple Grove and you see the crowds and, and once the funny cars start running, you'll, you'll see people even more so than the top fuel dragsters where the people will really start flocking into the seats to watch the race. And, uh, yeah. it's very identifiable. And I mean, uh, you know, win on Sunday, sell on Monday. I think, uh, you know, obviously the manufacturers wanted to keep it looking as close to something that you could buy on Monday, uh, and no different with the NASCAR. And, and of course, did the, did, did the factories dictate any of the design of those cars or were you guys on your own? Well, the factory got involved, uh, Ford Motor Company got involved in 1968 and, uh, designed a chassis that was, uh, you know, a, a tubular frame chassis and they gave the design to Logie Stamping Company in, uh, in Michigan and Logie made, uh, the, the cut cookie cutter funny car for everybody for many years. Sure. Uh, Logie funny cars are, are still much sought after for restoration. But I was thinking, you know, when you mentioned Maple Grove, they're having a big uh, event today called the Geezers at the Grove. That's They've right. Done that every year for a long time. Yeah, I uh, with new ownership up there and a new uh, breath of fresh air. I think going on up there. I think for years Maple Grove has just kind of survived, which fantastic because a lot of them haven't. I mean, a lot of the the strips that you used to race are long, long gone, aren't they? Yeah, it's too bad. Some of the tracks have sold out for money, so that. 
uh, housing developments could be put in, and some of them have been forced out legally for that same reason. Sure. Well, you look at Maple Grove. It's 400 and something acres up there. It's grandfathered in on a two-lane road that you could never get approved for commercial development today, but if it's grandfathered in, you can. And so you got to imagine that the developers were all eyeing that, and it's so thankful that a racing family bought the track, and looks like they're really uh, marketing and doing a lot of great things for it. That's right. Uh, the Koreski family has been around for a long time. I've raced against Kenny, and now his son is driving. And uh, so they're a hands-on uh, racing family. Yeah, I, it's wonderful that, that, that they have that perspective of it because sometimes I think, you know, business owners, track owners, whatever, uh, don't always have the perspective of the driver and, and what, you know, what's important to a driver may not even be on the radar of an owner. He may not even realize that that's important and, and there's so much to that. So it's, it's glad to, we're glad to see that, uh, it's continuing on for now. I know some of my favorite tracks out in California are long gone. Uh, OCIR, I used to love to go. Go to that uh, back in the early '80s, and, uh, and that's long gone. And I guess Pomona's still going on, though, right? Yeah, it is. And uh, thinking of those California tracks, uh, you know, I raced at tracks out there that are not existent anymore. But I raced at Carlsbad with the Cobra, right? Uh, and I raced at uh, Fremont. I raced at, of course, Bakersfield is uh, one where we won the Funny Car Championship in. Uh, the funny car event in 1967 and so a lot of the lions there's another one that lions is gone now but uh that was a great place to visit in the winter oh yeah absolutely because you didn't have to close up the shop for three or four months right for sure yeah anyway when we return we'll continue with our conversation with uh drag racer and car guy mr bruce larson we'll be back to the classic automobile podcast in just a couple of minutes When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. Hey folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember folks, I'm not angry, I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back with the Classic Auto Mall podcast, live from the Classic Auto Mall studio. Well, not live. I always say that. We're a live. We're a as usual. We're a something. Asymptomatic. That's the new buzzword of the day. That's right. right. I got to tell you, I went to the casino last night, and things went well for. Really? At the casino. How about that? Anyway. Hot damn. Hot damn. So we're talking to our friend Bruce Larson, and we're talking about the early days of drag racing. And uh, I was just saying to Bruce, I was just uh, off the air saying to Bruce, uh, that Meekum auction just recently was a barn burner, wasn't it? You had a car at the Meekum auction, didn't you? 
I did. I had a 1950 Mercury that was a mild custom, kind of a James Dean type car. And uh, I had it for 30 years and it was finally uh, time to let a new owner have it. And Meekum did a great job promoting it. And uh, I sold it uh, at their recent sale in Harrisburg. The crowds there were unbelievable. I was talking to Dave Majors, the CEO of Meekum, uh, during the day on Thursday, and he said he'd ordered a thousand more chairs for Friday. And when I went in there Friday at, I don't know, around noon, it was packed. Every chair was full that wasn't there yesterday, you know, the day before. It's quite an event. They came back, uh, came back swinging after the COVID deal. Boy, they sure did. And you know what? It proves that Meekum can just about put an auction anywhere in the, you know, Harrisburg is not a major metropolitan area, which I think a lot of people think, oh, that's what you got to have to to do an auction and and i think meekum has proven that wrong uh time and time again i think they could go to just about anywhere and put an auction on and and be successful with it they seem anyway that's just the opinion that i see from what they've done and they do a great job you've sold some other cars at meekum through the years though haven't you did you uh uh i i know that didn't you do the uh tv tommy ivo uh was it the front engine dragster that he that you had restored it was an early uh, 1974 rear-engine dragster oh, that I restored. The one that Tommy wrecked at uh, Pomona and was airborne on fire on the covers of some magazines. Right. And uh, it had been kicked around for quite a few years. I bought the remains of it and restored it and enjoyed it here for a few years and then sold it at Meekum in Indianapolis. Oh, yeah. That's a, what a sale that is. Uh, 3,000 vehicles they have at that sale or had at that sale uh, in the past. and. <laughs> Probably will continue to. Prior to that, uh, Meekum sold my uh, Dragon Snake Costello and Larson Dragon Snake Cobra uh, down in Kissimmee, Florida, in 2002. And what had you owned that for many, many years? Well, I didn't own it originally. It was uh, owned by Jim Costello when I was driving it. Right. And he sold it. It got kicked around uh, several different owners, and I had an opportunity to buy it back, fully restored. Very nicely restored. Right. I kept it for a while, and then uh, uh, Meekum came to me and uh, made me an offer. They they wanted to buy that car and and my '68 Camaro Funny Car, and I was ready to let go of the Cobra and not the '68 Camaro Funny Car, which I still have. Right. So. Uh, Meekum did a great job selling the Cobra for me. You know, a lot of people don't realize that, that there was, what, eight Dragon Snake Cobras built that were built for drag racing. I think people just think of Cobra and think of road racing, and that's not the case. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the one that uh, I drove, the Costello and Larson car, was uh, a car that we refitted into Dragon Snake form. It was originally a street car. Uh, it just had a few miles on it. This is back in 1963. And uh, we turned it into a dragon snake and ended up uh, winning more races than any other Cobra one and any other any other racing class that they ran in. And did you beat somebody famous uh, in the Cobra world at a race one time, I understand? Well, Carl Shelby, of course, engineered and built the Cobra, right. and he had a Cobra that he had records in AHRA and NHRA, and we came along and took away his NHRA record. Good job. <laughs> that was a nice feather in your hat, right? Did you ever, did, and did you always run an NHRA? Did you ever run an IHRA? I ran IHRA. Um, it, was a, it was a great organization uh, founded down there in Bristol, Tennessee, uh-huh. beautiful track yeah. called Thunder Valley because it was between the mountains and uh, made more noise. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I used to run there. And then when I was driving for Don Garlitz, 
Uh, we ran uh, a whole season with IHRA. Uh, we won four national events with uh, the Swamp Rat 32 and uh, the Swamp Rat 34 car. Well, I've been to Bristol, and i got to tell you that, first of all, the fence at the track was literally up against the track. It what didn't have that big buffer like at River, some of the other drag strips that you see, in, you know, that have the huge buffer zone between the fans and the track. And like you said, in that valley. But my favorite class at Bristol, especially, was the Pro Stock with the Mountain Motors. Oh, my gosh, the sound of those cars running down that that drag strip was unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> almost out of control. It's, it's amazing <laughs> how big a piston you can get in that little engine. Coffee can size, I would guess, or. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I read somewhere that Warren Johnson said that the mountain motor format was for the good old boys just because they were too lazy to work on the small block stuff. <laughs> Yeah, Warren came up with some great comments. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. But boy, they made a noise like you, uh, you, you couldn't imagine. The fans just love the pro stock class. Oh, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Now, uh, back to the funny car stuff. Did I, do I understand you donated or you have a, uh, a funny car in the Smithsonian? Yes. Uh, during about the middle of the 1989 season, uh, I was leading the points. Uh, we had just, the year before we got sponsorship, my first sponsorship that was adequate enough to run the NHRA circuit the whole year, uh, it was Century Tax and Gages, right. uh, in East Petersburg, Pennsylvania, local people. And, uh, my job was to go out and beat the, uh, the defending championship champion Bernstein and the other, uh, guys, Ed McCullough and John Force and, and Don Perdome. And, uh, on the second year of, uh, of that sponsorship, which was 1989, uh, we won the, the championship and, and kept the points lead the whole, the whole season. Wow. What, you, so, six wins you had that year? When we were, uh, at Maple Grove in the middle of the season, uh, a representative, the curator of the Smithsonian came to me and they said, would you donate your car to the Smithsonian if you win the championship? And I decided to, uh, to consent to that, even though I thought I'd like to keep a car like that. Right. So we, we won the championship and went on to uh, be invited to, uh, to put the car in the Smithsonian, and the Smithsonian um, hosted a great big party with all the, the drag racing press and uh, a lot of celebrities uh, at the Smithsonian, a big party, and put the car in, and the only other drag race car in there then and even now was Don Garlock's dragster. Oh, have so they they agreed to put the cars on display for five years and did a great job. It was beside Richard Petty's car, and uh, right beside, on the other side of it was uh, Mario Andretti's uh, STP car. Oh, wow! Wow, good company, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, so it- that was great honor yeah and it's and it's so fantastic that they are you know they recognize that the importance of racing and especially the grassroots what we call it drag racing and stock car racing nascar and all of that it's so important because i think you know we have a tendency to overlook things like that in this country and we shouldn't because it's important part of our heritage and our history and you know gasoline in our veins and hopefully we'll we'll keep having gasoline in our tanks uh <laughs> assuming everything goes as planned we hope anyway but uh 
you know, it's 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 so wonderful to see that uh, the legends of drag racing and NASCAR and all that are still out promoting. You're still out doing shows and events uh, on a regular basis, right? Yes, I am. We're having a good time with uh, several of my original cars. Well, and I think that uh, you know, it's it's they're not cheap to run anymore. Is nitro methane forty five dollars a gallon now? Is that- That's exactly right. Forty-five dollars a gallon. Wow. Now I wonder what a t- oh, gosh. That what is a top fuel car? How many gallons do they burn? I wonder in a in a thousand feet now. Uh, five gallon? Oh, surely they can't burn that much, right? Or do they? I'd say they're closer to ten gallons. Wow. Um, they do a burnout. Takes a few gallons back and idle a little bit, and uh, then they have these huge fuel pumps that pump over fifty gallons per minute right. into the engine. So uh, they're way up. Even on my uh, my eighty nine championship funny car, we had a twenty gallon tank that you had to keep uh, some excess in there so it wouldn't be sucking air down the end of the track. But oh, sure, sure. Really, Sure. Well, and you know, uh, as they say, you know, racing costs the same today as it did 20 years ago. It's going to cost every penny you got. So. <laughs> yeah. Sure. You know, and drag racing is a funny sport because it's hard to describe to someone who's never been to a drag race and maybe only seen it on television, the sensory overload when you're at a race and the sound and the noise and the smell and the, and the visual of it and the, the, the pure speed of it it doesn't capture well on television was that always a problem with drag racing back in the day of trying to get people interested in the hobby or in the the racing uh, series i think you're right uh, once you get them out there to a real event they're hooked but and of course they stand there in the pits and try to get a, a fix of the nitro smell and uh, <laughs> That stuff has got a, a distinct odor to it, and I love it. There's nothing better than a Saturday night at uh, Bristol when they were tipping the can, and that nitro was burning your eyes, and it was flaming out the exhaust pipes, and it's dark, and they're running down that track. Man, that, that's I, I was hooked. The first minute I got to that track, I said, drag racing is my new uh, go-to sport because it was so fun to watch. And uh, That's what happens. Yeah, it really does. And, uh, you know, and, it, and the innovations that have happened over the years, years and the safety innovations are you know amazing and of course one of them is the rear engine dragster because gosh that makes sense that uh if the engine blows you'd rather be in front of it than behind it yeah the funny cars haven't really made that change <laughs> right. so they're uh, of course they're safe because there's a very thin piece of aluminum between the engine aluminum sheet metal between the engine and the driver right right <laughs> But luckily, there hasn't been. I mean, they seem to have made it just in like all in, of all motorsports. It seems to be a much safer sport than it used to be. Absolutely, yeah. And again, uh, got to give credit to NHRA for uh, creating and enforcing a lot of these safety rules. Uh, a lot of times, the drivers feel invincible and aren't thinking about all the things that should be done and and safety measures, and so. NHRA has enforced some real good rules. Well, and that's that's fantastic because I mean, ultimately, you know, it's their job to help look out for guys. Because, like you said, you give a guy uh, ten horsepower and he's going to want twenty. You give him a hundred, he wants two hundred. You give him thousand, he wants two thousand. I mean, the new cars today, uh, the horsepower is off the charts now, right? Is it t- tens of thousands? <laughs> I mean, what is? The- <laughs> Yeah, some people might not realize it, but, you know, when there's over a 1,000 horsepower in each cylinder, <laughs> it's one of the 
if one of those cylinders gets drowned out or flooded out, which happens occasionally, there's so much thrust coming out of the exhaust pipes that it throws the car sideways. Oh my! So you've got to steer around the problem if you drop a cylinder. Right, and that's just gut instinct that takes over at that point in time. <laughs> that's all it is, <laughs> <laughs> and a few hail marys, right? Yeah. Well, Bruce, we really appreciate your time uh, this morning and uh, love talking to you about uh, old cars and new cars and classic cars and all the things that we do. And uh, uh want to uh, thank you for being on the show. And uh, we'll see, I'm certain, at uh, an auction or event or even back here one of these days soon. Well, I've got to say, uh, recently I came to one of your events at the Classic Auto Mall uh, on a Saturday, and I was so impressed that... Uh, I just want to tell everybody to put the classic auto mall on your bucket list. It's a, it's a car show indoors. It's, uh, it's got a lot of cars for sale, a lot of cars on display. And, uh, it's right at a convenient location on the turnpike. You can see it when you drive by, but be sure to stop there sometime. Well, Bruce, I certainly appreciate that. And we'll, uh, we'll look forward to seeing you. And I may have to make it out to your place come uh, November and see your, uh, your, your museum out there. Okay, hope to see you. All right, thanks, Bruce. Take care, and we'll uh, be back in a couple of minutes with the Classic Automall Podcast. Call J.C. Taylor today for a competitive quote on collector car insurance. Give your most prized possessions the attention that they deserve. You'll receive agreed value coverage, giving you the peace of mind to know you're always protected. J.C. Taylor has been supporting the hobby with reliable service that has lasted for six decades. Call 888-ANTIQUE or visit jctaylor.com slash awr to get a quote today. That's 888-268-4783 or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back with the Classic Auto Mall podcast live from the Classic Auto Mall studio. I keep saying that. We're not live to everybody. We're only live to ourselves. That's okay. <laughs> That's right. Bruce Larson, what a great guy. What a career. Wow, he's got of, some stories. Some great stories, and we didn't even touch on it. You know, that's mm. the problem with an hour. Mm-hmm. I see the Joe Rogan thing. Yeah. They have to talk for three hours. Um, I mean, I don't know that I could do three hours, I think, that. I know I can talk. I, I know that. <laughs> I, think you, I think you could. Let me ask Kathy. Kathy, can he do three hours? <laughs> She's like, well, please let him do three hours, and that'll be three hours less of uh, whatever. I don't, I don't so. know. But uh, anyway, uh, thanks to everybody listening, and um, thanks to Bruce Larson for being on. We had a great conversation with him at the early days of drag racing, and uh, he's got a great place. And I don't think he has a website, but we'll check it out, and if we do, we'll uh, we'll post it up oh, on our, okay. our social media. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe he does. Okay. Um, did you ask me? I forgot earlier. Where, I was wondering earlier where the cars <laughs> went this week and we how many a, you sold. We had a good week. We sold 25 this week. And where may you ask we sold them? Where did they go? 
Pomfred Center, Connecticut, wherever the heck that is. Never heard of it. Probably somewhere in Connecticut, I'm guessing. Yeah. But uh, Ivoryton, Connecticut, Kutztown, Pennsylvania, Edinburgh, Illinois, Jonesboro, Tennessee, South River, New Jersey, Fleming Island, Florida, Caseville, Michigan, Rapid City, South Dakota, Martinsburg, Pennsylvania, Lano, California, Williamsport, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Woodbury, Pennsylvania, Rensselaer, Indiana, don't know where that is, Westchester, Pennsylvania, Newburgh, New York, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Wommelsdorf, Pennsylvania, Furlong, Pennsylvania, Coatesville, Pennsylvania, Hamburg, Pennsylvania, Piedmont, South Dakota, and Severn, Maryland. Wow. So South Dakota, we've sold like three cars lately to South Dakota yeah. for some weird reason. I'm not sure what the... Uh, did everybody in South Carolina get a stimulus check or something? Yeah, maybe a collector. <laughs> maybe something happened, but we sure, sure seem to have gotten uh, a lot from there uh, as recently. And uh, we hadn't sold any cars to South Dakota prior to that for oh, the first four years. So here we are. Another state. Is there yeah. any state that you I think South Dakota was the only – or maybe well, North Dakota. I think North – no, I think we sold one to North Carolina, North Dakota as well. We'll have to double so check So you may that. have covered every state. I think we have. Except maybe Hawaii and Alaska. And I sold to Alaska. Okay. And our wall map that yep. we have in our main showroom is – Filled up. But it is so far behind. Yeah. yeah like, it's, it's old. Like, that's like about old. 2,000 cars behind. And I've got to – I want to continue to do it. My partner thinks that if I put another stick pin or thumbtack in that wall, <laughs> building, the whole wall will just collapse. Building so the building will collapse. So. There are not enough pins to keep up with all the cars. Oh, my You should God. hire somebody just to put the – just to hire – just to push pins. <laughs> what do you do? I push pins into a, a map. Classic automobile. Classic automobile. Well, you, had, you used to photograph them. Yeah, that And that – that took up a whole wall. Yeah, a whole wall. And, and we were like, wait a minute. There's not enough frames in, in Morgantown <laughs> to support that. We've bought every drip pan – uh, right. Walmart ever had. Right. Uh, we bought every eight and a half by eleven plastic frame <laughs> that you could possibly buy anywhere on the planet. We like to uh, own a lot of things like that. And uh, you probably have a. Well, you have like a, an account over yeah, at Walmart. We, we have an account. Here comes classic yeah, Here they come buying some more frames. I'm certain of it. Yep. So, you know, it's interesting talking about the, you know, racing and especially from racing from the old days. Um, you know that in the most cars in a. I read this the other day. The most cars in a NASCAR race was 82 in mm. 1951. Wow. And they used to race 48 races a year, and and then they went down to 31 in 1972. <sighs> and Richard Petty, this is so amazing. We were just he was just mentioned that Richard Petty's car is in the was in the Smithsonian mm-hmm. alongside his drag car. Um, in 1967, he raced a 66 Plymouth Belvedere. He won 27 of 48 races and 10 in mm. a row. Mm. Mm-hmm. And the same car won 13 races the year before in 1966. Is that before they were all kind of standardized? Yeah. You do whatever you want to. I, I, I don't know, to be honest, mm-hmm. what the exact – but can you imagine – I mean, amazing. winning – today, can you imagine uh, you know, right. uh, Chase Elliott or something? Right. And I mean, the Larson kid a couple of years ago, not, not, our not, Larson, Bruce. not Bruce Larson, but uh, – uh, gosh, I can't think of his name. Anyway, uh, NASCAR driver, he won – I don't know. He runs six or eight races or something uh, unusual. And but can you imagine twenty seven of forty eight races? More than half of the races won by one driver. No wonder he was so popular. That's how you become a legend. I mean, well, I mean, not only that, but he had the swagger. He had the mm-hmm. cowboy hat. Right. He had the, he had the all look. character. Yeah. yeah. He was a character even mm-hmm. when he was standing still. And then to do that kind of thing uh, was really, really amazing. And you know, in uh, uh, in Charlotte, I think in the uh, beginning days of Charlotte as a track. Uh, uh, they used to run like 60 cars, 20 rows of three. Hmm. 
That's I mean, imagine how many cars that is, you know. And and Charlotte was was the the poster child for that PR 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 stunts and those kind of things with NASCAR promotion back in the day. And Humpy Wheeler, who was hired by Bruton Smith to own Charlotte, was the master at you know bring your dog to to the track day and get a you know a doggy biscuit or do this and you get a picture mm-hmm. or you get a balloon marketing 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 but that that not high dollar stuff just stuff that gets people's attention guys jumping out of planes with you know whatever into a swimming pool the size mm-hmm. of a bucket mm-hmm. <laughs> right. you know, just anything that they could do to 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 get some excitement uh, going on with the, the racing and, and the other part of the racing. Because, you know, you go to a race nowadays, um, there's a lot of other stuff that's going on. There's a fan village. Uh, there's there's ride-alongs that you can do. Mm-hmm. There's pit tours that you can do. There's, you know, all kinds of simulators and things that you can drive. And so, you know, there's more to it than just the race because you got to remember, if you're at a the Coca-Cola 600, that's, what, five hours? Of, you know, <laughs> right. you, I mean, at some point in time, you might need a break from just standing there with a room. Yeah, vroom, something else vroom. to look at. Yeah, something else to look at. So, uh, but NASCAR trimmed that schedule significantly. But it's really amazing that they, the things that they did back in the day, and uh, uh, you know, it's a testament to the. Uh, uh, I, I don't know what you call it, but the, the fact that they've continued to be relevant. And you know, NASCAR could have gone away, and drag mm-hmm. racing could have gone away, and and you know, in certain instances, it had had just mm-hmm. like Bruce said, some of the tracks that have closed. Uh, same with some of the NASCAR tracks that uh, have gone by the wayside, and you wonder, you know, will we be able to continue with all of our, you know. I don't want to say it, but I will. Um, you know, all of the regulations that we do and everything that we we put our thumb on and we don't allow things to happen because we think it's for the good of I don't know what. I mean, everything mm-hmm. that they talk about that for reasons that they stop doing things always seem to get disproven like 10 years later. Right. <laughs> so do do something that feels good might, might not do good, but it feels good. Yeah. At the time. Well, mm-hmm. and I think that everybody should be driving EVs. Mm-hmm. Enjoyable vehicles. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. That's the new EV. That, that's the new EV. Enjoyable vehicle. And whatever that happens to be with you, is that a electric car? That's a drag car? That's a NASCAR? That's a Porsche? That's a Mini Cooper? That's a Ford F-150 pickup? That's a Cutlass? Whatever it is. You know, and and that's what makes this hobby the most fun is the fact that the diversity of just what you see in in our building, uh, from the guys, uh, you know, eighty five El Camino, we always say to the real Cobra that we have in here, and everything in between, and the level of our cars continue. We continue to get some really great higher dollar cars, but we still continue to get the reasonably priced cars, the stuff that that you know, if you're starting out in the hobby. You know the ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollar car, and I know ten or twelve or fifteen thousand dollars to some people is not a little bit of money. I, I don't mean to diminish the fact that you know fifteen thousand dollars, but in in this hobby, fifteen thousand dollars is kind of an entry level price uh, for the hobby. So, uh, and you know, with amazing financing out there through companies like JJ Best and uh, and then Haggerty Insurance, which is way cheaper than you would expect. Probably on a fifteen thousand dollar car, it's probably a couple hundred dollars a year. That's right. You know, so it's not cost prohibitive to to get into this and you don't have to just you know write one big check for it like you used to in the old days the reason that people collect more cars nowadays is because there's more money out there for them to be able to you know the jj best is loaning people money it used to be you couldn't loan you would, people wouldn't loan you money on a classic car Are you out of your mind
mind. And if they did, it would be, you know, not nearly enough to buy the car because they'd have a dusty old book from that's right. 68 that says that it's just like the insurance companies. You know, you insured your, your classic or hot rod through the normal, your normal carrier and you have a loss and a complete loss. And all of a sudden <laughs> you've got a book that they pull out and you paid 50 grand for the car. And they say, yeah, we're right here. There's that car. It's a uh, $2,200 is, is what we're going to give you for it. Well, you know, you paid, you know, 10 times that or 20 exactly. times that. So, but anyway, um, so we, we love that fact of the hobby and the fact that, uh, that, that we hope that everybody can participate and, and be a part of and, uh, and, you know, one day go from the, you know, the less expensive car into maybe the next level and, and to keep kind of growing. And I know let's not forget some of the great sort of daily drivers you have here. Absolutely. There's a low mileage Bu- Buick out here. That yeah. Some, who knows? Somebody's grandfather only yeah. put 12,000 miles on it. And- yeah. I mean, it's funny the cars that we get. And sometimes people might say to us, well, you know, why would you take a 98 Buick? Well, it's great. It's interesting. It's got low miles on it. It's a good car to own, and one of our good clients brought it to us, so we're not going to tell them no. Yeah, exactly. You know, we're going to help them sell their car, and that's what we do. And and you know, I determine what's special interest or collector <laughs> in my little world. <laughs> that's right. And eventually, again, every seat finds a butt. Yeah, and and eventually, every car becomes collectible. Right. Exactly. You know, so it's like my buddy who buys high end cars. He said, "I didn't pay too much. I just bought it too early." That's right. You that's know? right. I mean, look at Rad Radwood. I mean, those you get a two thousand Buick in twenty years. It's going to be classic. Yeah, it'll be a classic car, and especially at low mileage. As we tell everybody all the time, low mileage is king on these old cars. And, uh, you know, people don't always realize the significance of that. But you can take a, a 1999 Pontiac Firebird base model with 90,000 miles on it, and it's probably worth $5,000. And you got one with 80 miles on it. It could be worth twenty five or thirty thousand dollars. A huge difference. But the problem is, is that you got to buy a car and then not drive it. <laughs> Either if you buy one like that, or if you bought it new. Either way, you, you can't drive it. I mean, we get guys who want to buy a car that's got eight hundred miles on it, and they want to drive it. And we're like, you, 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 they really, you're going to diminish the value. And some people don't care. They just want a low mileage car that they can start out with now, and they're going to use it just like they they bought. Hey, listen, you lose money on new cars every time you buy them. So, although not maybe so much lately. What uh, is that? Twenty seven miles on that uh, SS Camaro yeah. SS anniversary edition. Yeah, twenty seven I mean, miles. That might on be it. one you just tuck away. Yeah, you know, I, maybe I, not drive. I, I would imagine that every mile diminishes the value to some degree, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and we've got a lot of low mileage late mile. And that's, of course, the last year of the 2002 of that body style command. That's a ZL1. So not only that, and that's one of our, our new inventory items that we didn't talk about, but we will. We'll put it on our list for, uh, for next week uh, when we discuss with our guests. To be determined. TBD. <laughs> TBD, and as they say in the uh, biz. So anyway, we want to thank everybody for listening today. Don't forget, uh, if you have any questions or comments or concerns or, you know, Anything. death threat, uh, <laughs> death threat. <laughs> pod- podcast at com, And uh, go to our website if you want to check out all of our inventory, classicautomall.com uh, is our website. And we've got, uh, we're pushing over 700 cars, I think, on there right wow. now. We're selling so many. I mean, that's it's a good problem to have. Yep. But uh, we're always looking for inventory. If you've got anything that's cool and it's out there, give us a call, 800 
Um, I don't know what our number is. Eight hundred? No, it's eight eight eight. Eight 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 two two seven zero nine one four. Nine one four is the last three digits. Zero, I always remember that. Nine fourteen portion. That's right. So there you go. So eight 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 two two seven zero nine one four. Give us a call. We want to talk to you about your cars. If you got a collection of cars, let us know. We'd love to talk to you about that. And uh, we've got plenty of space. We have almost six football fields of, of space in this building. So by golly, I think we could fit a car or two more in here. And uh, we will be back next week with uh, the To Be Determined. See you then. Bye-bye. We appreciate your listening to our show today. And don't forget, when you're in southeastern Pennsylvania, come visit us in person. We're open Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Wednesday is our late day, and we're here from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Saturdays, we're open from 9 a.m. to noon, and we are closed on Sundays. You can reach us by telephone at 888-227-0914 or via email at info at classicautomall.com. To reach the show, email us at podcast at classicautomall.com. The Classic Automall Podcast is produced by Car Smarts Media. Theme song by the Pat Travers Band. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.